If you have a Bible, grab that, flip over to Daniel chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the row in front of you, and we are glad to allow you to borrow that. And uh, if you don't own one, then we're glad to be able to give that to you. We want you to be able to have the opportunity to search the Scriptures, know and find God. And we believe that the Scriptures are the only place you can do that. You can look at the best Christian person you know and you still won't find your way to Jesus because even the best still are broken, still are sinful, and will not point you all the way to Jesus. And so it is important to have those people in your life, but it is also important to be able to weigh and measure their life against the Scriptures, which is why here at our church we just go line by line through the Bible. We want to mine out. And here's the deal. I've been reading and studying Daniel Gosh, so we've been in Daniel for how many months? Almost four. Uh, we're in chapter eight. There's four more chapters. Um, so I've been studying it for, man, oh gosh, almost a whole year. And you would not believe how many churches that I have seen uh, do a series on Daniel, get to the end of chapter six and say, all right, we did good. It's easy to preach about the Daniel who won't eat the king's food. It's easy uh, to preach about the Daniel who hears the visions from God. It's easy to know that God meets us in the fire when we see the three young men go in, and then we see the fourth meet them in there. It's easy to see our hero Daniel and his faithfulness to God and his commitment to prayer, rescued from the lion's den. Right? That's all easy. And then we get to chapter 7 where everything turns weird, right? We get to chapter 7 and it's no, no more he did this and then this happened and then God showed up on the scene and showed us how great he was. But now it's, here's a picture of some really weird animals. And uh, they got really, really weird because lions don't have wings. Uh, and that's kind of weird. And then what's this fourth animal? And so maybe, maybe we should wrap up that series, right? Daniel chapter 6, we can be done. But what we know is that God is found through the whole counsel of the Scriptures, right? Lord tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture, all of it, Daniel 1 through 6, breathed out by God, useful for teaching, correction, so that the man of God may be trained in righteousness, but we also know that all Scripture means that Daniel 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 are also breathed out by God and useful for our teaching so that our ultimate destination can be training for righteousness. So they point us to something. And so Daniel chapter 7, we see these beasts and we see these animals and they point us to lots of different kingdoms and the rising and falls, but maybe... On some level, they point us to the ultimate battle, the ultimate beast, the beast that is unlike anything that we can really explain with real human words. And they point us to the Antichrist and the many spirits of the Antichrist that exist and will continue to rise up. And anything, the Antichrist is anything that is, it's simple, right? I'm not really good at breaking down words for you, but anything that is anti or against and Christ 
That one's easy. I don't need to break that one down for you, right? Anything that's against Jesus, against the Holy One of God, the one who's sent to... So the anti, so there are many spirits of the Antichrist, right? Some of you may have a boss. You're like, gosh, I'm 100% certain that my boss... And my daughter's over here looking like, gosh, I'm pretty sure sometimes my dad is... No? Who knows? Anything inside of us that rises up that it's against... God is the Antichrist, right? We're all battling and warring for. Why did we read James chapter 4 earlier? Because there is something inside of all of us that rises up and wants more of what we have. Why? Because we all desire a kingdom that is fit for us. And we will do whatever we can here and now to make sure that we achieve that. But the scriptures, the reason that they're useful for teaching, correction, rebuke, and training in righteousness is because they point us to the end where we will have a kingdom that is fit for us. And it is fit for us because it is fit for our king. And so we don't want to shy away. And so we see these and then there's more beasts. But what I want us to remember through these chapters, because the book is divided into two sections, which is why some people quit after the narrative storytelling section, because that's easy. And so during those sections, we also see that these chapters here... 7, 8, 9. 7 and 8 fall between chapter 4 and 5. Chapter 7 says, in the first year of the reign of King Belshazzar. Chapter 8 begins in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. And then chapter 5 begins in the reign of King Belshazzar, and his life is taken by the end of that chapter. All right, so I think it's important for us to understand we're going to hear an angelic interpretation here of this last dream of Daniel, but it's important for us to remember that God has been painting for us themes and promises to us. Like the people of Israel, chapter 1, are taken off into captivity. Daniel refuses the king's food, is stronger, more fit, healthier. He risks his life to say, I won't eat that, but I will stay true to who I am. And the Lord rewards him as if to say, you may be in captivity, you may be in bondage, but I am still with you. I'm there with you. And then Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and no one can interpret it. And he says, then all of you people, all of my wise men, all of my magicians, my enchanters, my dream interpreters, if you can't interpret this vision that I'm not going to tell you, then you can just die. I'll just kill you and I'll get new wise men because clearly you're not wise enough. And Daniel says, give me a minute. Let me pray. Goes to his buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and says, let us go to God that he may reveal this dream to me. And the dream is of this statue, many kingdoms upon kingdoms upon kingdoms, but those kingdoms are crushed by a rock. And this rock formed of no human hands brings all kingdoms of this world to dust. And God says, not only am I with you, but in that rock, I will rescue you. Because that rock becomes a great mountain. Chapter 3 Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or as the story tells you, their new Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, won't bow to the statue. So they're thrown in the fire. And then the fire is so hot that it consumes the men who deliver them. And the king looks in and said, didn't we throw? We threw three guys in there, right? Because I'm pretty sure I see four, unless that's a flame that looks like a guy, but I'm pretty sure it's moving around and they're having a chat. And God says, not only... Am I with you? And not only will I rescue you, but here, while you await rescue, I'm with you. Chapter 4. Chapter 4. 
the king is humbled by God. God says, I'll give grace to the humble. Seven years, Nebuchadnezzar's out in the field, living like a beast. His hair becomes so long, it's like feathers of an eagle. His nails have grown so long that they're like claws. And at the end of his seven periods of time, he looks up to heaven. And the Lord restores his mind to him. I'm with you. I'll rescue you. I'm with you. And I will give grace to you if you are humble. In chapter 5, we see that God opposes the proud. But chapter 7 and 8, we see God speaking to Daniel before he even gets to that. Speaking of the many kingdoms and the rise and the fall of different kingdoms and how one day it will ultimately end, but that beast will be slain by the Holy One of God and it will be thrown into the fire. And then this vision, where Nathan kind of brought us the the vision, the, the dream from last week. That there is this ram and a goat. And who would think, who would think what you know about animals that a goat, like yesterday we were at a petting zoo, uh, I saw goats. I've never been to a petting zoo where they had rams because rams seem scary. They've got horns and horns are important in the Bible. The Bible tells us that the Lord is the horn of our salvation. But this ram is defeated by a goat. And that's weird. Daniel doesn't understand it. Nathan said last week it ended by, uh, and Daniel got sick about it and called in a few personal days because uh, he couldn't figure out you know, what to do with all this. And then he went back to doing business of the king's business. So here's what we're going to do. Let's read uh, Daniel chapter 8, verses 15 through 27. And I'm going to let the magic voice do it. My wife likes that. Uh, she said that she loves a welcome break, a break from the sound of my voice. Uh, she says she gets that far too often, and she likes it when the magic ESV voice guy reads. So, Brandon, go ahead, take that away. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face one who understands riddles shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand and in his own mind he shall become great. 
Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. So, last week, Nathan kind of just opened us up, kind of give us, giving us some explanation and just as to what, what we're seeing here. And this week, during the interpretation section, I thought, man, we could totally do the second half of this chapter 8 in two more weeks. And what, what we could have done in the first week is discussed the historical implications that this means. And then we could have come back and talked about what the theological implications are based on those historical implications. And, and Nathan led us into that, but there is so much history. I thought, man, you know what? Uh, Vince, who plays guitar up here, um, one of our church trustees is, a, is an educator. He's a professor, a teacher. He loves doing that stuff. And I think that if we had the opportunity to hear all of the history that happened here, and this is part of the problem. People come in and reject this, right? We remember that all of God's word is profitable and useful for teaching, training, and righteousness. Why? Because it is breathed out by God. But many, 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 as Ed told us a few weeks ago, reject this. Specifically, they reject these sections, chapter 7 through 12, because the historical accuracy that they have, that it is almost impossible for them to be true as a prophetic note, they have to be written after the time where the history took place as a history book, not a prophetic book. It has to be written pointing backward. It's impossible for it to be pointed forward because if it were pointing forward, it would have to be inspired by some all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise being, and most people reject that. Why? Because no such being exists. But you and I don't reject that. Because we do know that that being does exist. We know that that being bridged the gap for us between the two of us with his own son. We know that he is so wise and so powerful that he defeated sin himself, something that could not be done. Right? So we know that these are pointed forward, and it is crazy, crazy how historically accurate these are. So we could have looked through here. First, I want you to circle something. If you're a writer in your Bible, there in verse uh, 19, kind of halfway through, it says, the latter end of the indignation. It says at the end of time or the latter end of indignation a few times. Um, what, one of the things that we're forced to is speak, figure out whether this is speaking into the end of all time or is this speaking to the end of another time. And so I want you to circle this word, these, these words at the end of the indignation. We're going to talk about that at the end to figure out this timeline. But to speak of something, remember Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar throws this party using the instruments of the Lord's temple. The cups and the chalices, the plates and the 
decorations from the Lord's temple are being used now for this crazy party that this king throws. And we know that that night, the kingdom of Babylon is overthrown by the kingdom of Persia, Media Persia. I always thought it was weird when reading Daniel chapter 5. I always thought it was weird why Daniel was not more appalled by the use of the holy instruments of the Lord for this party. I always thought it was interesting. Like, when I see somebody do something um, using an instrument of the Lord. Like, so back in the civil rights movement, it was, it was a really big thing for them to burn crosses. Down, maybe down in the south, maybe you guys don't know what I'm talking about. Have you guys heard of the KKK? Um, those kind of things. They used to burn crosses and do these things. And I was always appalled by the burning of a cross. Because to me, the cross is a symbol of freedom. It is a symbol of unity. It is a bond through which you and I can be connected. And in this instance, it was a symbol of hatred and division. I was appalled, one, because I think that that hatred and division is completely unacceptable. And I think that every human being, from the unborn baby to the oldest dying person, is worthy of dignity and respect because they are image bearers of God. Why do we think, maybe not we, why do I think that abortion is not okay? Because that baby is the image of God inside of a woman. The image of God does not burst onto the scene as soon as the baby takes its first breath. I am no more an image bearer of God because I am a white man than someone else who is black or Hispanic. We've got them. I love that we have that. I love that we're a church that is multi-ethnic. Why? You know why I love that? Because heaven is multi-ethnic. It, it, it is impossible. It is impossible to hold true to the tenets of racism and hold true to the tenets of the cross. Because the cross cancels out all gender, all race, all socioeconomic barriers. In heaven, we are all God's people, and we are all beautiful. And if we are all God's people and all beautiful in heaven, we are all God's people here and now. So I always thought it was crazy that this king was throwing this party using God's things because I see people using God's... I see church buildings that are no longer church buildings, but they are... I've seen church buildings that are bars. I've seen church buildings that are nightclubs. I've seen... And I just think that's just so crazy that this is but Daniel didn't seem to be all that bothered by it he may have been but maybe he wasn't because the historical implications of this are one day the things of God are going to be trampled down far worse than drinking wine and celebrating in a pagan orgy here and now the things of God are going to be trampled under. These visions give Daniel the opportunity to appropriately navigate the here and now. 
I understand and can see this party in context because I know that this is bad, but I know it's about to get way worse. I know that this is terrible, but I know that the Holy of Holies, the place where the presence of God dwells, is going to have a statue to Zeus put inside of it. I know they're going to cancel the daily worship. So the first thing that I took away as I was studying for this is that as I know the things that God reveals, I can appropriately navigate the world emotionally and intellectually. Without an understanding of what God is doing, what God has done and what he will one day do, I am left to go crazy in every moment just trying to figure out how do I intellectually process this? How do I emotionally process? How can any of this be overcome? But we see all of that in Daniel's story. So let's kind of hop into this interpretation. We, we see that this interpretation is given to Daniel from the angel Gabriel. This is one of three times that we will see Gabriel pop onto the scene. We see Daniel or Gabriel here in Daniel chapter 8. We will see Gabriel again next week in Daniel chapter 9. And then we will see Gabriel some 500 years later in Luke chapter 2 announcing the birth of the Savior, Jesus Christ. So we see Gabriel, this special messenger. It's not just any ordinary messenger, but it is a special messenger from God speaking to this, and he talks about... You guys ever read the Old Testament and think, gosh, I have no idea where the Ulai Canal is? Nobody? Everybody already knows where that is. You guys have different maps than I do. My glasses keep fogging up. Can't see you. So the Ulai Canal is in Iran... And Babylon is Iraq. So right now what we're talking about is Daniel being in Iraq and somehow in his vision he is transported, like Nathan told us last week, on a magic carpet ride singing a whole new world, right? And he's seeing all this. Hold your breath, it gets better. Right? So he goes on this magic carpet ride and he lands himself over in Iran. And he sees these things. And he sees a ram with two horns, one horn slightly bigger than the other. He says that that ram are the kingdoms of Media and Persia. The horn that was smaller was the kingdom of Media, and the horn that was larger was the kingdom of Persia, because Persia was stronger. It was the dominant of the two kingdoms. And they conquer everything in any direction that they want to go. They're conquering and conquering and conquering. And then this goat comes out with one horn flying through the air, so now it's some kind of superhero goat, which explains why a goat could beat a ram, because this goat is not an ordinary goat, but it also flies, or it is going at such a speed that it appears as though it is not even touching the ground. And this goat slays the ram. And we know from this interpretation that the goat represents the kingdom of Greece. Alexander the Great was a general in the Grecian army at 21, led the way and conquered the world as its emperor by 26. Right? 
which kind of made me a little bit depressed as I started to research the history. Like, 26, 26. All right. Not things I had conquered, because that list is real short. Things I haven't conquered. Banking. Eating like a grown-up. I mean, we'd be here all day if I could just, at 26. But Alexander the Great conquers the entire world by 26. The only thing that you and I can imagine that's close to that are these athletes that we see worshipped on Sundays and Saturdays. We see it all winter long during basketball season. I saw it last night as the Chicago Cubs came. Uh, They were ahead Then they gave up the lead to tie it, and then they walk. The base is loaded to get to the pitcher, so they'll be forced. Never mind, doesn't matter that the Grand Slam won the game, and it was awesome. We can talk about that after church. But we see these young athletes, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, are at the pinnacle of their sport. We see LeBron James taking over and becoming... Now he's got shoe deals and he's got hundreds of millions of dollars and now he has conquered the basketball world. And there's only one thing, there's only one question now about LeBron James. Can LeBron James be better than Michael Jordan? That wasn't even, I barely barely even finished the sentence. Right? Barely even finished the sentence. Think about this. LeBron James has accomplished it all. He's 31. There's still just one question. Alexander the Great, about the time where LeBron actually started to conquer, Alexander the Great had already conquered the world. I think about the biggest name that you and I have in sports, and he was nothing compared to this guy. He conquered the world except for the fact that by the time he was 31, like LeBron is now, he was dead. Who knows? But we see that he, the single horn, Alexander the Great, conquers Media and Persian, then he dies young, and these four other horns rise up, speaking of the four generals that come in behind him, and then there is this one great general who begins to take things and this general is ruthless and he is worse than any of the rest of them his name is Antichus the sixth he added epiphanies to his name himself which is interesting lots of people add things to their own names except for this guy Antichus the sixth his uh, he added epiphanies which means God manifest so not only am I the general or the ruler of this kingdom I rule the world but I am now, in fact, God manifest. I'm God. Worship me as God. And so he began to spread and do these things. Goes down to the holy land, the special land. I forget the exact wording that it uses there. But he goes down. That's, that's Israel. He inhabits Israel. Just desecrates the temple of God. Cancels the sacrifices and the worship. Puts a statue to Zeus in there forces everyone to worship him, cancels circumcision, which in the Jewish culture was huge. So one of the things that we know is that temple worship had been restored. 
So this is after the Israelites get to go back home. Nehemiah leads the people back to rebuild the walls. So the people have gone back. Now these people have moved in and taken over. There's so much history here. You, you guys familiar with Hanukkah? There's a portion of, of time in between the Old Testament and the New Testament where there's silent years, but there is still a recording. Some Bibles have it. It's called the Apocrypha. It is a recording of the Jewish history in between. And then one of the books of Maccabees, we see Judas Maccabeus rise up against Antiochus, take back over the temple and restore worship of God back in the temple. We celebrate the celebration of lights. And really, honestly, Christmas is not necessarily Jesus' birthday, but it is the celebration of the return of worship to the temple. We somehow put Jesus' birth there, which seems fitting when you think through it, right? Jesus is the one who restored our ability to worship God truly and fully, doing away with all sacrifice. So much history here that happened after this was told exactly the way that it was told. The historical implications here are great. The number one walk away here is that God knows and rules over it all. And not only is that a historical implication, but that's our theological implication too. Right? So one of the things that is interesting to me is that we've been studying the book of Daniel, speaking of kingdoms rising and kingdoms falling, kingdoms rising and kingdoms falling here in 2016, leading up to the stepping down of one president and the stepping in of another. I didn't plan it that way, but it is interesting to me that God said, I want you to walk through this book of Daniel, because here we are. I, I saw some, maybe, you, have any of you seen the petition? Uh, they need 50 million signatures on this petition uh, to request that the president restart the election process, and we do away with these two candidates, and we just kind of go through the whole primary process again. I'm not certain that that's real, but this is, this is a huge sentiment everywhere, right? Everybody would like different candidates, you know, which has caused everybody to dive in and read about other candidates, other possibilities. Who else is on our ballot? Who can we write in? Who is, you know, so you've got your libertarian candidate. It's not just Trump and Clinton, but you've got your libertarian candidate, Gary Johnson. You've got your Green Party candidate, uh, Jill Stein. There's, I found out yesterday as I was doing some research, there's another Green Party candidate. There's an independent party candidate, Evan McMullen. I, I would say check all those people out, by the way. But we're reminded here through studying Daniels that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Presidents come in, presidents go out, and God is still in control. I promise you I did not plan to go through the book of Daniel during this election season so that we could be reminded of that. But I promise you that God did. I promise you that God wanted us to know that no matter who gets elected, next month, he's still in control. And even if whoever gets elected leads us to the end of the world and the return of Jesus, 
He's still in control. And so we don't need to fret and worry. Which is why we sing that song, Psalm 126, right? Though we are weeping, we go out with songs of joy because we know that God is in control. So what do we do with these visions? I always read things and see some funny things in them. Like So Daniel's having a vision, and in his vision he sees himself. And uh, he, he says, verse 18, And when he spoke to me, speaking of Daniel, I fell into a deep sleep. Right? So he's having a vision, and in his own vision, he passes out. Right? This angel is speaking to him, and he passes out. I've never had a dream or a vision of myself passing out. I can't even remember actually passing out. Maybe Daniel's never passed out. I just read these things, and they're funny to me. Think about it. Like if, if you were writing this, or if I was writing this, it would have said, and when he spoke to me, I passed right on out. My face hit the ground, and then he touched me. And that didn't help. That's what I would have said. Behold, I'll make known to you what will happen at the latter end of the indignation. This speaks to the kingdoms of Media and Persia taking over Babylon. And it speaks to Greece. Currently, as Daniel lives, there's no worship at the temple. It's been overrun. Worship will be restored to the temple and it will be taken away again. But at the end of the indignation, worship will be restored to the temple. So it's speaking to this time where worship is restored to the temple. So this season, when you see the menorah lit up, that's what it's about. It's about the celebration. The celebration of the restoration of worship in the temple. It's the celebration of putting in place the holy and removing the unholy. And we're about to have one of those times at the end of this month. 16 days from today. One of the most unholy days of the year. Halloween. We're going to dress our kids up. We're going to take them knocking on doors. And we're going to get them some free candy. My challenge to you would be don't do that. Don't participate in the broken celebration of evil. But instead, go to the store and buy a bunch of candy. And buy all of the foods that your kids like to eat. Stay home. And teach your kids what happened 499 years ago when Martin Luther said that the church that Jesus Christ died for is broken. And it must be fixed. It must be reformed. And tell your kids. Give them candy. Give them their favorite foods. My two oldest kids ask me every year at the beginning of football season, Hey, Dad, is it football season? Yes. Is it almost the Super Bowl? I guess. Are we going to have the party like we do at the Super Bowl? Because this is what they're asking. At our house... We're food portion Nazis. 
right? If your stomach is the size of your fist, uh, your plate shouldn't be this big. But at the Super Bowl, they get to just keep on going back and going back and going back. What if you and I did that? Instead of taking our kids out and getting a bunch of free candy. But we gave them one of those memories. And yeah, we can attach it to candy. And this is why. Because the restoration of the church of Jesus Christ and the reformation of the church of Jesus Christ is a treat. It is a treasure. And it is something, had these men not stood up and said, this is broken and the Lord deserves better and we deserve better. And so we can teach our kids to value the Bible. And we can teach our kids to value the church, but only as our church values the Bible. Right? So the historical implications of this lead us to several theological implications. The end of the indignation points us to the fact where worship will be restored and the pagan will be defeated. And we don't just have to do that at Christmas time. We can do that as often as possible. We can teach our kids that our life exists by grace alone, through faith alone, the cross of Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. And these church reformers walked away saying that that is what church should be about. And that's what our lives should be about because that's what the Bible is about. So let's find all of these places where the pagan has taken over the day and us return worship to God. And so instead of worshiping costumes and candies and witches and devils, we can worship the God of the universe who made a way for us through his son Jesus. And we can have a far better celebration. And if you don't know how to do it, come to my house and we'll do it together. Right? So, read this with me. Here's our theological walkaways today. Evil may have its day, but God will have his say about evil. Evil will have its day. Daniel envisions a time where evil has its day. One kingdom conquers another, conquers another. But God has his way. God knows exactly what's going on and he knows exactly his plan to overcome it. He knows his plan to reign and rule above it and he knows his plan to gain glory through it. One more, maybe two more. None is greater than God. God is not bound by the knowledge or power of humans. What we cannot stop, he can. Evil does not have the final word. Restoration is not impossible. Renewal is the future. Chapter 5. Just before these visions happen. Just after these visions happen. Got that backwards. Belshazzar is going to throw a party using the Lord's treasures. To throw his party. And he has no clue that night that his kingdom and his life will end. Then this goat, this ram rises up and it has no idea that there's a goat coming for it. And the goat, I mean, it says this, this king here, Antichus Epiphanes the sixth, 
dies of no human hands. He had no idea that he was going to get a bowel problem. And his bowel problem was going to become so bad that no one wanted to be about around him and he went crazy. Right? Antichus Epiphanes VI, the supreme ruler of the world, God manifest, went crazy because his own body turned against him. He didn't see his end coming. Greece didn't see their end coming when Rome took over. Rome didn't see their end coming the day they crucified Jesus. The day that the stone cut out of the mountain brought every kingdom to dust. The reason that the end of the indignation is there at the return of the worship is because it was a symbol pointing us forward to Jesus. The place where the temple was no longer a place, but it was human hearts inhabited by the Spirit of God. So you and I no longer need to go and sacrifice and worship at a specific place, but you and I can interact with the holy every day, which is why we run to this. Because the only way to interact with that, with the holy, is through the lens of the Bible. One more. God not only knows the measure of evil, He also knows its end and can bring it about when His purpose determines that it is right to do so. The confidence we gain by understanding that God knows the measure and the end enables us to endure and trust Him through it. I want you to walk away with that phrase today. God knows the measure and the end of evil. And because God knows how long, how wide, how deep, how high the evil is, He alone can end it. So maybe you're walking through a particularly difficult time and you just can't figure out when is it going to get better? We look at King Nebuchadnezzar, seven periods of time. When is God going to give me my mind back? It was not until King Nebuchadnezzar was prepared for the glory to go to God that the end of his evil, the end of his pain, the end of his struggle came. So when will your difficult time come to its end? Right when you're ready to give the honor and the glory, the praise to God. Not just through the end of your pain, but through the totality of your life. God knows the measure of evil. And He's bigger than that. And God knows its end. And He is there waiting to receive the glory and the honor forever at the end of it. We can trust God because God knows. We can trust God because God stands to renew. We can trust God because God stands to restore. We can trust God 
because God stands to get the glory. And so this morning, we're going to come to the table. And some of the worship team will come back and we'll sing a song about God's power in salvation and about our weakness in sin. And as you come to the table this morning, you can take that cracker, a symbol of the brokenness of the body of Jesus Christ, to heal up the brokenness inside of you. And you can taste of the cup, a picture of the blood of Jesus that covers your sin, making you new and making you whole. If you're a guest with us this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus, and we welcome you to come to the table with us too. I know some churches say you have to be a member to take communion. We want you to celebrate the resurrection and death of Jesus with us. So as we sing this morning, I want you to come. I want you to taste the brokenness of Jesus to make you whole. And I want you to taste of the blood of Jesus to make you new. And as you taste it, I want you to be reminded that God knows the measure and the end of your evil, of your brokenness, of your sadness. It's not like he's standing there in heaven saying, I know how big it is. I can see it's hard. And it'll end one day. I'm not sure when, but it'll end. But he says, no, I know how big it is and I know exactly when it's over. I'm here to meet you. I'm here with you. I'm here to get you out of it and I'm here to be there with you to get the glory and the honor in the end. So as we sing, you come to the table. Celebrate your connection with God through the cross of Jesus.